the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get underway at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the third morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. And we have a very, very important show to have with you today. Glad you're a part of it. We're going to continue to dissect all of the ridiculous, phony, fraudulent, uh, dishonest, lying allegations against Judge Brett Kavanaugh. As we now await the closure of the FBI investigation, we have been told that it will end today and that there could be a motion for cloture, uh, filing cloture in the United States Senate tonight. Uh, Mitch McConnell could have the vote by Friday. It doggone well better be that way because, because Mitch McConnell says we will vote this week. This is a very, very important day today. And joining us in about a half an hour to talk about it, at 9.35 will be Michael Johns. He is the co-founder of the National Tea Party Movement. He's also a former White House speechwriter. And we're going to get his thoughts on uh, on where things stand right now as we find out more and more and more about the lying liars. Yes, I know that's redundant. I'm doing it for effect. The lies told by the lying liars who have been accusing Brett Kavanaugh. And that includes the non-sympathetic uh, witness, Christine Blasey Ford, the non-credible witness, Christine Blasey Ford, the non-sympathetic Julie Swetnick, the lying liar that is Julie Swetnick, and so much more information that has come to light in the last 24 hours, well, the last 22 hours since we last spoke on yesterday's program. Where are we? The FBI could wrap up its investigation as soon as today. Dr. Ford's attorneys are complaining they still haven't been contacted by the Bureau, saying in a letter to the FBI, it is inconceivable that the FBI 
could conduct a thorough investigation of Dr. Ford's allegations without interviewing her, Judge Kavanaugh, or the witnesses we have identified in our letters to you. Now, if the FBI concludes its investigation by today, we expect the Senate will hold a vote on confirming Judge Kavanaugh this weekend. Yeah, well, they doggone well better. Friday, Saturday, at some point, it must happen before Monday. We cannot allow another weekend of mudslinging and character assassination to continue. And quite frankly, I don't know what they're complaining about. Dr. Ford testified for hours under oath before the Senate Judiciary Committee. How many more ways can she repeat her lies? How many more ways can she say she doesn't remember things that she is alleging happened? How many more ways can she say, well, I don't know how I got home to my home eight miles away from where this party allegedly took place? I don't know who drove me. How many more ways can she say that I had a second front door put on my house because I needed an extra, uh, uh, I needed extra, uh, an extra exit rather in order to get out in a moment's notice because of claustrophobia that was brought on by Brett Kavanaugh holding me down 36 years ago? Uh, how many more ways can she tell lies about her fear of flying? What do you want? Seriously, to the attorneys for Christine Blase fraud, and that's how she's going to be referred to on this program. For, I, I, look, I, I said this two days ago on Monday's program. I will not join my colleagues. I know I have a lot of colleagues in conservative media and right here at Salem who are continuing to describe Dr. Ford as a sympathetic person, somebody who clearly underwent something. She's just mistaken about Brett Kavanaugh. I don't believe she underwent anything. I am in a very, very stark disagreement with a lot of other people about this. I think she is a fraud from the word go. I think she is a political plant. I think this has been in the works for a long time. I think she has is being handled by Democratic operatives in the same way the two Democratic operatives cornered Jeff Flake in the uh, elevator who worked for George Soros. I don't believe one single solitary word or syllable that she has said. So I'm in a you know I'm in a different place on this. So she will be known on this program from this point forward, unless I slip accidentally and call her by her real name, she will be known as Dr. Christine Blase Fraud, because that's exactly what she is perpetrating on the people of the United States of America, and more importantly, that's what she's perpetrating on the United States Senate Judiciary Committee in opposition to Judge Kavanaugh. So Dr. Christine Blase Ford already told her tale of lies, and now many of them are coming out. The story being told by her ex-boyfriend is an amazing one. This has been presented by uh, Chuck Grassley after the letter that was fired off to him and the rest of the committee by uh, Christine Blase Fraud's ex-boyfriend of six years. Essentially, well, I can't say prove her to be a liar in everything that she said, but it discounts and disputes much of what she said, and he was also under oath. It's a sworn statement under penalty of felony if he is lying. So he wrote this letter. I've got two letters, actually, that I'm going to have to share with you on this program today involving both witnesses, both witnesses, or I'm, I'm sorry, not witnesses, both accusers, both of the lying liars who are accusing Brett Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct in one case, attempted, attempted assault, attempted rape, whatever she wants to call this whole thing, 
Uh, and then the other one accusing him of multiple gang rapes. I've got two different letters from two different boyfriends from the past of each of these two different lying liars, uh, Ford and Swetnick. I'm kind of skipping over Deborah Ramirez, the second accuser, because she has all but recanted everything that she said. She has pretty much all but recanted uh, her allegation of Brett Kavanaugh being the one who shook uh, his uh, his uh, um, himself, I'll phrase it that way, in front of her face, exposing himself in such a way, which was the initial allegation. You recall, she's the one who couldn't identify him as having the, uh, been the one to do this, did not want to say anything until she spent six days with lawyers, uh, you know, uh, cajoling her and trying to push her into this uh, until finally she said, okay, I'm sure it was him. Uh, She's not sure at all. She's basically recanting. So we're just kind of focusing on Christine Blase fraud and Julie Swetnick. I wish I had a cute lying nickname for her, but I don't. But I do have two letters. Letters from her boyfriend, one of her ex-boyfriends, who actually was a figure of some prominence in Swetnick's case, and when I say prominence, meaning just that he was a public figure, he was a television figure, and he has not gone anonymous with this. He has put his name on the letter that he sent to the judiciary yesterday, Judiciary Committee yesterday. His name is Dennis Ketterer. He was a Washington, D.C.-based meteorologist, and he wrote a letter about his time uh, as a boyfriend-ish kind of person in the life of Julie Swetnick. And he is detailed. He is specific in time and place in everything that he says, which contradicts pretty much everything that she says that she, of course, is not specific in, in terms of time, place, specific detail about what happened, etc. So we've got letters from boyfriends, past boyfriends, exposing the lies being told. In addition to that, In addition to the letters exposing those lies, we also have proof positive um, about Christine Blase fraud's testimony from an investigation that was done about her claims of claustrophobia leading to the flights uh, and the the door stories, the second door stories. Uh, Someone went back in and did some investigative work and found out exactly when the new door was installed on her house and what it has been used for. To say that her credibility, which was already kind of, you know, flatlining from the moment she sat down and gave her phony, broken voice, I'm really scared performance. To say that her credibility, which was already in the gutter, is now less than that is an understatement. Not a single word that she said uh, can be believed, no matter how much. And the Democrats know this, by the way. Have you noticed the tone? Have you noticed the topic? Have you noticed what has changed in the last 24 to 48? Maybe even 72, going back to Monday. Have you noticed this? Now it's not about the sexual assault, because they know that she has no credibility, and so many of the things that she said have been disproven. They know it. She knows it. So they've changed it to, well, he drank a lot, and he lied about drinking a lot. Drinking is bad. Drinking in high school and in college, those are bad things, so he can't be on the Supreme Court. Then they changed it to, well, even if he did drink and a whole lot of other people did drink, he once got in a bar fight. He threw ice at somebody. I mean, do you see the desperation? I see it. I can almost smell it, but only the Democrats can taste it. What does desperation taste like? 
Democrats. What does desperation really taste like? It tastes bad enough for you then to come out with, well, even if throwing ice isn't a crime and he didn't even get arrested for it and, and, and we have no earthly idea if this even happened, um, he was really mad when he was on the stand. Judicial temperament. He was angry and expressed it. And because he was angry at Democrats, which he expressed, clearly he's not fit to serve on the Supreme Court. Do you see them continue to change the argument on a regular basis, almost every few hours after one ridiculous story is refuted after another, they go out and they and they change the narrative? Well, now it's about judicial temperament. He can't be trusted to give a fair hearing to any Democrats who come before him. His vote will be automatically tainted. He should recuse himself if he is seated on the court because his, his uh, temperament shows that he is not going to be able to give a fair hearing and, make a, and cast an informed, fair, uh, constitutional decision because of his bias against Democrats. Memo to the demon rats. It is only one political party that has savagely attacked his character, his reputation, his integrity, his career, his family. Only the members of one party have pronounced him guilty before 325 million Americans on television. Pronounced that I believe her, we believe Dr. Ford, he did this, he did this, he did this. And you expect him to not be angry? Try it sometime. Have someone declare you to be one of the most horrific monsters that one can imagine in American society, a serial gang rapist. Have it repeated, not for a day, not for a week, but for two weeks, three weeks, moving on toward a month now because one party continues to drag this out against you. Have this said over and over and over again on cable news. Have it said over and over and over again on social media that you're a gang rapist, a drunken gang rapist, even better, a, a drunken gang rapist who drugged women in order to more effectively and easily gang rape them. Have somebody say that about you for a month solid. Then look in the mirror and tell me what kind of face is looking back at you. I'm guessing it's an angry face. I'm guessing it's going to be one that is just furious and desperate to tell these liars off. That's what Judge Kavanaugh did. That is not poor judicial temperament. That is humanity on full display. He's a human being who's being savaged, who's being defamed, who's being slandered, who's being libeled on a regular basis. That is exactly how he should have reacted. If he had reacted with calmness... And poise in the middle of all of this, I would have had some serious problems with him. Michael Johns joins me at 935. You can join me right now. 216-901-0945. It's the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Thank you, details. Nine twenty-five now. The Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. 
So I want to share with you, I told you we had two letters from two ex-boyfriends involving two, the two primary um, accusers of Brett Kavanaugh as a part of this uh, Democratic-led character assassination and do anything, stop at nothing, in order to stop Brett Kavanaugh from being confirmed. Not because of Brett Kavanaugh, but because Brett Kavanaugh is conservative. Brett Kavanaugh is, like everybody else on the president's shortlist, somebody that they had pledged to stop. They've just chosen to use this particular attack, attack against Brett Kavanaugh because all of the others have failed. So the first letter was sent uh, to the Senate Judiciary Committee and provided by Chuck Grassley. This is the ex-boyfriend of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Back then she was just Christine Blasey. So he writes in this letter to uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee that he is still uh, that he has no reason to doubt, and had no reason at the time anyway, to doubt the honesty and the truthfulness of Dr. Ford. He said he wants to be truthful about what he knows. Quote, I, and then it's redacted, I'm a current resident of California. I first met Christine Blasey, now Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, I say fraud, in 1989 or 90 in California. From 1990 to 91, I was friends with her. From approximately 92 to 98, I was in a relationship with Dr. Ford. I found her truthful and maintained no animus toward her. During our time dating, Dr. Ford never brought up anything regarding her experiences as a victim of sexual assault, harassment, or misconduct. Dr. Ford never mentioned the name Brett Kavanaugh. During some of the time we were dating, Dr. Ford lived with Monica L. or I. Uh, it's hard to read that. I apologize. McLean, who I understood to be her lifelong best friend. During that time... It was my understanding that McLean was interviewing for jobs with the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. I witnessed Dr. Ford help McLean prepare for a potential polygraph exam. Dr. Ford explained in detail what to expect, how polygraphs worked, and helped McLean become familiar and less nervous about the exam. Dr. Ford was able to help because of her background in psychology. Now, I'm going to pause there to point something out. Obviously, the big deal here is that under direct examination, when speaking to the Senate Judiciary Committee last Thursday, Dr. Ford was asked directly if she had ever helped prepare someone or had any experience with polygraphs before she took her own polygraph test about all of this. She declared no. This boyfriend, under sworn oath, a sworn affidavit under penalty of felony says, yes, she did. He gave time, place, name, who she helped, and why she helped her. Continuing in the letter. Dr. Ford and I lived together while we were dating and stayed together in a long-distance relationship when Dr. Ford moved to Hawaii sometime around 1998, although I'm not sure of the particular year, and it might have been a bit earlier or later. But while visiting Dr. Ford in Hawaii, we traveled around the Hawaiian Islands, including one time on a propeller plane. Dr. Ford never indicated a fear of flying. To the best of my recollection, Dr. Ford had never express, expressed a fear of closed quarters, of tight spaces, or spaces with only one exit. I assisted Dr. Ford with finding a new place to live in, and then that is also redacted. She ended up living in a very small 500-square-foot house with one door. I'll pause there to again point out the obvious. Under direct examination by the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday, she claimed that she had a second door, a second front door installed in her home with her current husband, uh, uh, Mr. Ford. 
She had that installed because she needed easy access to an exit so that she could escape if she started to feel claustrophobic, a feeling that she has never gotten over since being held down against her will by the evil Brett Kavanaugh and Mark Judge back in, well, sometime in the early 80s in an undisclosed location, at an undisclosed party with undisclosed people around, etc., 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 so this particular boyfriend who, who had a relationship with her, with her for six years said, not true, none of it. She uh, lived in a very tight closed space. She flew all the time. None of this stuff bothered her. Uh, back to the letter, it says, Despite trying to maintain a long-distance relationship, I ended the relationship once I discovered that Dr. Ford was, an unfaith- was unfaithful while living in Hawaii. Hmm. Again, something that goes to her credibility, her character, her integrity, perhaps? After the breakup, he writes, I took her off the credit card we shared. But nearly one year later, I noticed Dr. Ford had been charging the card and charged about $600 worth of merchandise. When confronted, Dr. Ford said she did not use the card, but later admitted to the use after I threatened to involve fraud prevention. I didn't speak again to Dr. Ford until about 2002 when Ford contacted me briefly. After that, I hadn't thought much about her until I saw her story in the Washington Post on Sunday, September 16, 2018. I do not want to become involved in this process or current investigation, but I wanted to be truthful about what I know. Signed, this boyfriend, this letter dated yesterday, October 2nd, 2018. Christine Blase Fraud is a liar, not a survivor. She is a liar, not a victim. She is a liar, not sympathetic. She is a liar, not even a decent witness. She is a liar, and at the end of this process, what I want to hear ringing from coast to coast from people who supported Brett Kavanaugh's rights and due process and the presumption of innocence to be chanting about Christine Blase fraud, the same thing we should continue to be chanting about Hillary Clinton. Lock her up, lock her up, and I repeat, lock her up. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 20, the answer. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have a lot more of the details of the letter that I just read to you from Dr. Christine Blase Fraud's um, uh, ex-boyfriend. And then I will share with you the letter that was just released yesterday by Senator Orrin Hatch from a Utah man who was living in D.C. back in the 1980s and I think early 1990s. He was actually a televised figure insofar as he was a meteorologist. He was a television meteorologist at that time. He has come forward with his name. He is not hiding under anonymity. He is making very, very strong allegations against Julie Swetnick, Judge Kavanaugh's other accuser, who continues to say horrific things about him despite having exactly the same amount of credibility as Christine Blase Fraud does. So we'll get to that part of the story after we have a conversation with my friend Michael Johns. Michael Johns is the co-founder of the National Tea Party Movement. He is also a former White House speechwriter, and he joins us now to discuss the latest on the uh, Attempted assassination of the character of Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Michael, good to have you back, sir. How are you? Hey, good to be back, Bob. Good morning. 
All right. So um, the FBI investigation looks like it's going to wrap up today. How do you feel about the fact, Michael, that the Democrats have declared they don't want the results of the investigation that they begged for, that they screamed for, that they played stompy foot for through the entire process last Thursday? They don't want that to be made public. Because I think absolutely it's uh, discouraging and but yet predictable because I think if you look, as soon as Jeff Flake got up to in that Senate Judiciary Committee to approach Democrats about this and came back, you know, announcing that he had reached this agreement on the one week investigation, I think the first thought that went through all of our heads was it's not going to be that easy. The goalposts will continue to move because the goal from day one has been to defeat Kavanaugh as a nominee, not to get to the bottom of the truth of these allegations. So it's very problematic from the standpoint of, um, I think, conflicting objectives. One, taking the allegations of sexual assault seriously, as we're required to do, and yet defending a nominee who has no objective evidence that's been submitted uh, against him at all that's compelling. And obviously, I think, coupled with the fact this is these are allegations that now date, date back over three decades. Yeah, that's that's a very big uh, part of this too. We're talking to Michael Johnson, uh, uh, co-founder of the National Tea Party Movement. Um, you know, the word "credible" is is what comes up here. All we've heard since the, this uh, uh, ridiculous eleventh hour release of this letter and these allegations by Diane Feinstein is that uh, Judge Kavanaugh has been credibly accused of a ter- of a serious crime and blah blah blah. You know, detailing what those things were. And and the word credible, and that, of course, has led to virtually every Democrat in the United States Senate and millions dem- right. of Democrats around the country to agree that they believe her because we're supposed to believe survivors, believe women as the movement goes. But here's what we find, at least, you know, just from Dr. Ford's boyfriend of six years uh, during a very important period in her life. She never mentioned sexual assault. She never mentioned Kavanaugh. She never mentioned being afraid of confined spaces. She lived in very tight confined spaces with just one exit. She never mentioned right. a fear of flying. She she flew all over and continues to fly all over the world. She uh, claimed that she did not know how to beat a polygraph, uh, at least under oath. And she said, or this boyfriend said, she Evidence he watched her she train yep. a friend on how to beat a polygraph. Um and that she cheated on him, you know, from a relationship standpoint while also committing bank fraud against him. Where, Michael Johns, is the word credible even in, in the same room with Dr. Christine Blase fraud? Yeah, I think that exactly is the issue. You have to remove the adverb credible because until, you know, there's demonstrable evidence that is true, they're not credible allegations. They're just allegations. And those are a big difference. You know, I mean, I, I, for instance, worked in the United States Senate in the late 1990s. If I said I'd been, you know, sexually assaulted by Diane Feinstein, would I expect that the entire world would grind to a halt, you know, until such time as we learned the facts? Of course not. And that's the sensitivity. And I'm not sure we figured out how to handle these things correctly yet. And I think it's fair to say that sometimes we don't have all the answers. But this is a good man. It's a very credible judicial record. He's you know, was really the top candidate for this position. His work on the D.C. Court of Appeals has been immensely impressive. And this president won an election, and he's entitled to get his nominees fair consideration and to have them passed. And I think the final point is this whole advise and consent process was set up predominantly to look at, you know, kind of temperament issues 
and adherence to Constitution issues. And yes, I guess general character issues, but as it relates to really, you know, things that can be demonstrated, that it's become simply a partisan vote. Meaning, I don't, I don't believe any nominee that President Trump had put forward would be embraced by this Democratic Party. This Democratic Party is designed, as the president has correctly pointed out in his rallies, simply to resist and obstruct. And that's, in essence, what I believe has been going on. It's great that the FBI has concluded this investigation. It doesn't look like they found anything more than was uncovered in any of the previous six FBI investigations of this fine man. And one would hope that there is a vote and um, that this man is on the court in really short order. Michael Johns is my guest. He is a former White House speechwriter, as he said. He uh, also worked in the Senate in the late 1990s. He is also the co-founder of the National Tea Party Movement. Um, I'm jumping ahead here because I'll get I'll get back to Julie Swetnick and and, and or get to Ju- the Julie Swetnick part of this uh, story as well in a moment. But I-, I continue to call her Christine Blase fraud. Uh, I do not believe her to be have suffered anything. I believe her to be a plant. I believe everything that she has said to be 100% uh, um, false. Um, I, a lot of my colleagues uh, and, and in the conservative media, including a lot of other talk shows, continue to say we feel terrible for what happened to Dr. Bla- uh, Dr. Uh, Christine Blase Ford. She's just obviously mistaken that she thinks this was Brett Kavanaugh. I don't believe anything happened to her, and I think she is just a bald-faced liar about every word. You don't have to agree with that, but my question to you, Michael Johns, is if I'm right, does Brett Kavanaugh have some legal recourse here? I want him to right. own every penny she has ever had for the hell that she has put him through and his family through in this entire fraudulent you know, process. Well, I think that's, you know, it's not, that's an exceptional point, and the answer is yes, there has to be, and there is. Uh, one of the points I made as soon as this arose is we have to take allegations of sexual assault seriously, but we have to take false allegations of sexual assault equally seriously. Why? Because it, too, is illegal. It, too, has a lasting, permanent effect on on its victims. And it, too, requires, you know, the intervention of uh, law enforcement and justice. So if this is demonstrably a false allegation, which I don't know. I think your thesis is not an outrageous one. It's entirely conceivable that it is. Then, yes, she has to be held accountable for this because she's taken not just a man and his good family through a horrific experience. She's taken an entire country through a horrific experience. And if that's contrived, she has to be held accountable. Right, and, um, because and not just because of retro, way, not, not, not just my opinion. That's the law of the United States of America. False criminal allegations, which this would fall under this category, is illegal, mm-hmm. justifiably illegal. Okay, and 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 that's that. You know, that's that's part of this. When I say I want her held accountable, it, it is partly for you know retribution, for punitive uh, measures, and so on and so forth. Because it's just terrible. She shouldn't be allowed to get away with this, as it were. But Michael, what I really look at here is what this does to the confirmation process in the future. Whether it be Supreme Court uh, confirmation, whether it be uh, uh, any other federal. Uh, um, judicial positions, whether it be cabinet level, anything that the Senate is required to do for advice and consent. If this 
woman is not held accountable for her fraud in a very serious way, there will be no deterrence whatsoever for somebody else to step up and try to torpedo another nomination of somebody they don't like. And who knows? It's doubtful, but maybe the next time it would be a conservative-minded person trying to do this to a liberal nominee, uh, although they don't usually operate that way. This is a liberal uh, page out of the liberal playbook. But but the future of this country and our and our and our constitutional protections are, is kind of kind of in play here. And I think that a strong message needs to be sent that if you do this, you pay a heavy heavy price. Well, and so is our entire government because really, when you think about it, what is our objective? We want good, qualified. You know, exceptional people to be drawn to government service, not to be repelled by it. And I think any, you know, good businessman who might have a lot to, uh, you know, offer this country who's looking on and observing this process and had maybe pondered saying, you know, I would like to give a little bit back to the country in some position and lend my expertise um, to this administration or a future administration, whatever party that that uh, administration is, looks at it and says, you know, I'm not going to take myself and my family through that process because it becomes, you know, just alienating to any sensible person and a suicide mission, in essence. And so you end up, as, as has really been the case, with a lot of mediocre people who haven't said much, haven't done much, don't have developed opinions, don't have developed thought processes on these issues, And that's really not what we're looking for. That's not the democratic political process. Michael, I I can speak to that very personally because I've been asked over the last 15 years on three different occasions to run for office, from local office to Congress. Uh, Just, you know, from people who are fans and people who like what I do and they're business people who say we could really get behind you. And I've never, ever considered it because of what politics is in the United States today, because of what they would do to families, what they would do to friends and people and, and, and trying to destroy. And this is exactly an example of it. Here's a man who's lived an exemplary life. Uh, who's been just, you know, uh, at at the pinnacle of the judicial world, uh, you know, as a highly respected, extremely well-qualified, as rated by the ABA, the liberal, by the way, American Bar Association, still saw Judge Kavanaugh uh, as, uh, you know, getting their highest rating. You know, a man who's been a youth basketball coach for his daughters and, again, just been lived an exemplary life. And if they can tear him apart like this in such a public way with phony allegations and actually have millions of, 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 of liberals around the country agreeing simply because their bosses, their masters said, we must stop the Trump nominee, whomever it may be, by any means necessary, stopping at, you know, with, you know, at all costs, uh, they, they, they joined in, in, in the slander and the character assassination of this man. Right. If it can happen to him, for goodness sakes, it can happen to any of us. You a practical question, though, and it's not clear that there's an immediate practical answer about what to do in this particular case, but here, let me offer one suggestion, and that is, if this FBI comes back, as it looks like they're going to, and says, we have no evidence that any of this ever happened, in Maryland in the 1980s. No evidence of it. We cannot offer one scintilla of evidence that it, that it actually happened. I believe the next call should be for a second FBI investigation. In That is, is there legitimate basis, as you suggested there might be, to suggest that this woman contrived this story in a, with political partisan ends in mind. And if that's true, she has to be charged under that criminal statute and held accountable. That does send the the correct message to the country that false allegations will be taken as seriously as legitimate allegations. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham, who, of course, uh, was, you know, just... 
he was so passionate in his defense of Brett Kavanaugh sure and, his, and wow. in, his, in his disgust with the Senate Democrats in this process last Thursday, he also said over the weekend that he will ensure that there is a full-on, a full-scale, I think is how, you, how he worded it, FBI investigation into the conduct of the Senate Democrats and the witnesses in this case. Um, so I hope that's exactly what it is, because you know, not only do I believe, and this is just my own belief, is that, do I, that she has been a political uh, plant in this from the very beginning, going back to when she kind of started floating this stuff in 2012, when it looked like Mitt Romney might actually be a threat to win the presidency, and Mitt Romney was... Uh, uh, floating the name of Brett Kavanaugh as a potential Supreme Court justice. I think all of this was going on then with Ford, and I think in concert with a lot of these Democrats. So I want a full FBI investigation, as you just said, as Lindsey Graham promised, into the whole, uh, you know, the, 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 I hate to use the word conspiracy, so I don't sound like Hillary Clinton, who used that word to describe, uh, what was going on with the Starr investigation and Monica Lewinsky, but, but I, I truly believe that we are talking about something that is very, very deep, and it goes to, to the very heart of the Democrat Party, using people like Dr. Right. Christine Ford, or fraud, if you will, uh, as a political pawn. I'll give you the last thought. Well, I think, and I think that's the final conclusion, is that they, she was, I think it's, been suggested unless these were completely contrived politically motivated allegations used by Diane Feinstein and the Senate and the Senate Democrat minority on the Judiciary Committee. She specifically requested that these allegations not be released to the public. What did that Democrat uh, minority on that committee do? They took her letter and they leaked it to the Washington Post. And they took her uh, allegations and put her in touch with a very Democrat-aligned law firm that she would never have otherwise retained, who ultimately may have been the source of leaking the memo. But the point is, they discarded her wishes. So this very party that says we need to treat victims of sexual assault seriously is the only party so far that I've seen that hasn't done that. Do you you believe, though, Michael, that those were really her wishes? The reason, you know, I, I get what you just said, but she also went to the Washington Post. She went to the Post when she she first went they to her. Remember, down though, they were on her front doorstep. They, I mean, they were very aggressive in finding her in California, and I think at that point she opened up about it. But, but okay. her position was that on the initial letter and in the conversations with with uh, the minority staff on the Judiciary Committee, that she specifically said, do not share this with the public. So that was her wishes. And you could, you know, if they were legitimate allegations, you could understand her desire to do that. She knew this would be a national media storm and, and possibly didn't want to be swept up into it. But when that... Well, I, I, she, didn't, she uh, didn't want to be put under uh, oath. You know, she, she could make those allegations to the Post. They put political desire over her. And that, I think, is one of the other great scandals this entire well well you know to me to me michael and and we'll wrap it here but she she um she says she didn't want to go public and the reason she didn't want this to go public is she just wanted the letter to be enough to torpedo the nomination uh behind the scenes because she did not want to have what happened last thursday which was to go before the judiciary committee under oath penalty of perjury which is a felony for crying out loud she could be in a lot of trouble and they made her go before this and remember and when after it went public she she said she wanted to be heard but she didn't want to be heard under oath the the fact that the republican majority had offered to go to california to interview her she was right seemingly unaware of that anyone who was following this whole debacle even casually was aware of yeah. all the options that uh, uh grassley had offered 
so it's clear that the, the law firm that represented her was also engaged in, you know, almost an essence of legal malpractice, not sharing with her the options that were available and putting her before public spotlight that wouldn't otherwise have been necessary. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. She um she uh I I don't believe ever wanted to tell the story under oath because she knew the lies she was telling would be get her in a lot of trouble. And right now, a lot of them are being exposed about fear of flying, about the front door, uh, about time and place, and everything else. And uh, she knows full well she can lie to the Washington Post without without uh, you know legal problems, but she can't do it to Congress, uh, to the United States Senate. Uh, Michael Johns, uh, former uh, Bush H W Bush uh, speechwriter in the White House, uh, former uh, Senate aide as well as well as the uh, founder, co-founder of the National Tea Party Movement. Michael, always good to hear from you. Keep up your great work, and we'll catch up again very soon. Thank you, Bob. Have a good thank one. You for, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. All right, 953, let's catch up on traffic right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks, Bob. All right, 957, short segment here before the top of the hour. Let's continue to try to remove the veil of, of innocence and of sympathy and of uh, credibility from Dr. Christine Blase fraud as this FBI investigation draws to a close at some point today. We need to highlight more about the facts um, that uh, were left out of her testimony and, quite frankly, the, the lies and the falsehoods that she told in her testimony. Real estate, uh, this is thanks to real clear investigations who did the work. Real estate and other records undercutting a key part of Dr. Christine Blase Fraud's account of why she finally came forward with charges of attempted rape against Brett Kavanaugh after some 30 years. Uh, Ford testified last week that she has never revealed the details of the alleged attack until 2012 when she was in couples therapy with her husband. She said the memories percolated up as they revisited a disagreement they'd had over the insistence on installing a second front door when they remodeled their Palo Alto, California home. The need to explain a decision to her, her husband didn't understand, Ford testified, pushed her to say she wanted the door to alleviate symptoms of claustrophobia and panic attacks she still suffered from the attempted rape allegedly perpetrated by Kavanaugh in high school during the early 80s. Is that the reason for the second door? The second front door is claustrophobia? Asked Senator Dianne Feinstein. Correct, Ford replied. Ford never specified when the renovation took place, leaving a possible impression that it and the therapy session happened around the same time. However, documents revealed by Real Clear Investigations show that the door was installed years before as part of an addition that was being done to their house to be used by renters and even a business that they sublet the space to, a marriage counseling business. The door was not an escape route. It was an entrance route, said an attorney familiar with the ongoing investigation. The real plan for the second front door was to rent out a separate room. The discrepancy raises fresh doubts about Ford's candor and credibility amid other inconsistencies, congressional and other knowledgeable sources say, including a purported fear of flying, which we'll talk about more on the other side of the news. But how many different lies does she have to be caught in? How many different lies before my colleagues, even those you know fellow colleagues at Salem and also on Fox News, will stop calling her a sympathetic victim of something? That she was victimized by something somewhere. It's just that she's not accurate about it being Brett Kavanaugh. She is a bald face liar. 
That's it. End of story. Lock her up. Back after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.